0: States. stay tuned.
1: Welcome, Sonic Talk number 167, um, live today on Wednesday the 3rd of March, the Ides, no, the Ides of March are the other end, aren't they? Um, okay. Anyway, welcome, thank you very much everybody in the chat room, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live as usual, 4pm on a Wednesday is where you can find us and our live stream and our live chat room. Thanks very much for everybody joining us and we've got a bumper crop this week as well. ...of live guests. Uh, I'll start with uh, Dave Robinson from Pro Sound News Europe. Man about town, editor. Not editor-in-chief or anything, just straight editor, aren't you? Yeah, straight editor. Straight none of, editor. None of this funny stuff. None of this funny business. How are you, Dave? I'm very good. Uh, do you know where I was last week? Oh, yeah, you said. Um, I've forgotten what oh, I was, though.
0: Let, let me let me make you all very good. I was in South Africa. I was, I was looking at the, um, the football stadium...
1: Oh, for the Uh, um, tour for the
0: for the World Cup. Yeah, obviously, very much in the news at the moment because uh, people worried that. Yeah, everybody's worried that they won't actually be finished in time. Um, But uh, it's uh, it's very nice out there, and everybody's geared up towards it. They've got large footballs on some of the. uh, television masts and all that kind of stuff right uh, and uh, it's all it's all and waste paper bins with with made out of football uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on uh, got
2: the stadium uh, was, ready
1: okay.
0: though well actually uh, the stadium the, the insides of the stadia the ones that we saw we went to Soccer City which is the big one where they have the opening ceremony that looks like a cooking pot um, that's ready, and the one in Pretoria, that's ready, and the one in Cape Town, which is a glorious new build, the, the green build, the Green Point Stadium, which they need some adjustments to the sound system, but it looks fantastic, and the turf, you just, you just kind of want to eat your dinner turf. off it. <laughs> Ooh,
3: you really turf.
0: do. Except, uh, we couldn't go and stand on it because we were told we'd be escorted from the stadium by a security guards if we even tried to get anywhere near the grass. So, um, but it, it's, uh, but there's, you you might have seen them on the news I think yesterday was 100 it marks 100 days till the World Cup starts ah right and and you see they were bungee jumping at Durban Stadium and all that kind of stuff oh
1: brilliant well it sounds like fun I I think um, for American listeners we ought to clarify that this is soccer or football (laughs) uh, because they won't know what we're talking about because I don't think bless they don't think it's anyway. World Cup, soccer World Cup. Yes, that's right. Yeah. All right.
0: but it's well. Obviously, I don't want to dwell on this, but all I would say was the stadiums themselves are finished. It's just the outsides. I mean, it's Soccer City, which is the which is the kind of the, the jewel, if you like, which is where the opening and the closing ceremonies will be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the stadium looks fantastic. It's just a roundabout. There's nothing. It's a building site. They right. need to build the training facilities and the car parks, and they've got 99 days to do it. And <laughs> they would better get a move on, basically.
1: Yes, I think they would better add. Um, anyway, well, thanks for joining us today prosoundnewseurope.com, dot uh, com and um, I think that other voice you heard there would be Rich Hilton from uh, connecticut where he's, he masterminds his uh, his pr- uh, professional engineering production and uh, music playing talents from uh, his central headquarters How are you rich <laughs>
3: i 'm fine fine thank
1: you How are you yeah good I had a good tech week uh, um, uh, so yes quite good got um, Got the Mactopus this week, and I've been trying to figure out how it uh, whether it makes my life easier or just more difficult. <laughs> easier than what? Easier than not having one. Ah, but we'll see. It seems to do things faster, but it just doesn't do as many of them. See what I mean? Mm. But we'll see. As having nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway rich uh myspace.com forward slash hiltonius good to have you aboard um and uh, we'll whip through the guests because we've got such a such a good number this week while we're over there we'll say hello to pj tracy emmy winning pj tracy uh, minneapolis pj tracy music.com how you doing pj
2: i'm doing very well thanks nick thanks for having me
1: you're welcome is it still dark there in the morning or are you is it not too bad
2: uh, not at this time. It's about 10 a.m. It's oh, it, uh, routinely about this time of year it gets light around... It starts to get light around 20 to 7 a.m. Mm.
1: That's kind of my time. My time yeah. of morning. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, PJ, thanks for joining us too. And uh, we'll say hello to... Uh, let's say hello to Mark. We haven't heard from you for a little while. Mark Tinley, autismhero.com. How are you doing, Mark?
4: Hello, I'm very well. Um, I've... I've got, what have I got to say? I've been doing a course in London and on this course it's all about brain science and they said try doing things differently and uh, my iPhone wasn't turning on properly so I thought I'd take it apart to fix it because you know I think that I'm very good at fixing these things and of course once I got it to pieces I couldn't put it back together again so I thought, well, here's an opportunity to do something differently. I'll not use my iPhone anymore and see how I get on with a BlackBerry. And it's just a nightmare. Oh. I mean, I just found out that I just so rely on that thing for everything. And I'm really? sort of feeling a little bit odd at the moment.
1: Oh dear, you're I, having I went to a friend's symptoms.
4: house for lunch, and she has an iPhone, and I had to sort of hold on to it for half an hour. Can I touch of, it a while? A bit of a fix, you know.
1: Oh, that is quite... So, Yeah, yeah, that is a bit sad, isn't it? I must admit, I was playing with a friend of mine's um, new Windows HTC Touch phone, which has got a much bigger screen, and my eyesight's just got much worse in the last three months, and I'm craving larger (laughs) larger font
2: sizes.
4: (laughs) Someone recommended that to me and said that uh, when Windows 7 Mobile comes out, you will be able to port all of the iPhone apps straight onto that. How true that is, I don't know. This I'd say probably. A developer friend of mine,
1: probably unlikely. I would imagine, but no, it'd be good. Maybe oh, well, if you're he, a developer, it might he, be the case.
4: Yeah, I think he thinks it's possible. So, well, we'll, we'll see. watch out
1: for that. Anyway, welcome aboard, Mark, and also uh, Dave Spears, G4Software dot com, um, who I believe is in the middle of um, you know you're in the final voicing stages of Imposca Two. Yeah, and, and uh, fixes. And announced your, um, what was it, your optotron today pack? Uh, yeah, yeah. I well, did, did get a mail-out today. I did get a, I, did, I got one. I got it's a mail-out. First, first mail-out I think we've probably ever done. Of course, mine went straight in the bin. No, it didn't. I uh, <laughs> I had a look. I even clicked on the show images. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And very pretty it was, too. Yes, it does look it lovely. Worked. Great. Well, I hope sales are going well for that. That's the future, I believe. Digital distribution, so I'm told. But um, Uh, yeah, interesting. But well, let's let's start straight off. Um, This was uh, turned into be a bit of an epic. I'm just going to start with uh, a little clip to play. it's lovely, isn't it? That's the opening titles, uh, the original (laughs) opening titles of Vangelis' Blade Runner um, soundtrack, a 1982 seminal film directed by Ridley Ridley Scott, which seems to have retained the atmosphere. Even though it's a sci-fi movie, it still kind of retains its timelessness. This was all part of... uh, an article on uh called uh, The Iconic Sounds of Synthesis, which I think is a fantastic idea for a, a, an article. And um, he's basically um, just put together a load of kind of people trying to emulate that sound. And um, there's a few great examples. Um, I thought we could get onto some of those in a bit, but um, any particular standout for you? I think um, one thing that I was quite pl- uh, impressed with was the Juno 60. Did anyone hear that one? Yeah. That wasn't bad. I've got clips of all these I could illustrate. Shall I play them or shall I just illustrate as we go on? I don't know. What does it mean to you guys anyway? I mean, it, it, iconic sounds of synthesis. I suppose we could sort of say, is this actually uh, a good place to start? Seems to me it is. Well, were the um, question,
0: because I saw that there were other uh, synths on the side. Are they, were they all playing the main titles from, from Blade Runner? Yes, they were. They were all trying to emulate the CS80.
1: Well, they were all trying to emulate Vangelis, but yes, I, right. I, I could play you the one that's probably the least, see if you can spot this, this is the one that failed the most miserably, and it may have just been the setup of it, or it may just be that the synth is not capable, if you can guess. Nah, it doesn't work for me. That was the, anyone? Dave, I bet you know what that one is. I don't know. Racks.
0: That was the answer, was it? I tell you, so. ex- exercises in doing something pointless, emulating an iconic sound, uh, and seeing how, how bad it can be on another synthesizer. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't get that. Well, I, I Look, disagree. Hey, I've got, a, I've got a xylophone. Does that sound like it? No.
1: <laughs> well, okay, all right. I take the point. I've got a penny
0: whistle. Does that sound like it? No. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's like synth fail, isn't it? It's it's well, yes <laughs> and no,
1: but I think it's actually quite a good. Uh, I think it's quite a good benchmark test. You know, if it's like, it's a good method test. It's like the capture test or the you know the MP3 code. It has to be, you know, if a, if a synth is is a, a good, you know, a capable synthesizer, it has to be good at emulating. You've got play- emulating a fat
0: Greek bloke from 1982.
1: Well, his synthesizer, not him, not him in person. <laughs> Well, I, d- I don't know. I think it, I think it was a, a, a cracking uh, a example. And one of the things that came out of it was the fact that they, they laid down a sort of plug-in challenge. And bizarrely, uh, Dave, I don't I hope you don't mind me playing this, but you sent this today, and this is what? The sound, this is... Well, I'll play it, and you can explain what it is that's making the, uh, the sound. So let me just hear.
4: Oh. Bye.
1: Such emotive chord changes. <laughs> aren't I? I'm going to cry. I feel like weeping. It's, it's such me out of time. <sighs> yeah, <sighs> but what the hell? sounded pretty pretty good though. What was that then? Was yeah. that? Tell, it must have been the Imp 2, wasn't it? Surely it was the Imp 2.
5: I yeah. got to thinking that the CS8. I mean, I've got a CS60 here, and the thing about the CS80 is that. It has a low-pass and a high-pass of resonant filters independently, and you can do a very similar thing on the Imp2. And I just thought, hmm, basically it's a filtered sawtooth wave with a load of expression. It's poly aftertouch as well, and obviously the, um, it's got the ribbon strip, which obviously the Imp2 hasn't got, because that would be very hard in software. Uh, and I just thought, hmm, wonder whether I can get anywhere near that. So that was just kind of impromptu. Uh, yeah, that's very
1: good. There are some very good ones there as well. But that, that was that, So that's uh, another 20 sales like that, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> welcome to the
0: Dave VIA's advert
1: show. <laughs> Well, I think I think you're fair enough to rise to the challenge. Where's your where's yours then, Dave Robinson?
0: <laughs> 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 that's <very> remarkable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One of the things that was very clear about it is it's very easy to get it wrong but still sound right if you see what I mean, to sort of ish, you know, to kind of eh, to kind of approximate the, the atmosphere and the feel of it without it being absolutely spot on.
0: Actually, here's
1: mine. That no, doesn't quite work with the crockery I've got in front of me, does it? That's beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know. I, I think it's a good chat. Anyway, um, anyone else enjoy that article? There's some r- other really good ones on there. I, I did, um, what was my other... F- there was actually a CS... Sixty wasn't there. Seventy, did it? isn't it? A seventy that did it, which was, as you would expect, pretty good. Uh, the guy th- at the end was amazing. Oh yeah, I got a bit He's of that. Lost left with left. everything. Yes, and that's the ESQ one. Do you want to hear what the ESQ one was like? This- bad is it that was the the old venerable and sonic esq1 pj does this mean does this, this does the soundtrack have a, a special place in your mind in your in your sort of musical reference would you think that that's a good test
2: <clears throat> it does um you're i have to say nick you're kind of breaking up yeah uh, getting oh, really? a lot of digital glitching and it's oh, a little difficult to hear you but if kisses. i if i heard you correctly you asked me if the soundtrack has a a place a venerable place in my world and yes for certain it does and uh when you sent me the mp3 of dave's uh uh dave's mock up this morning it uh i got i got a little shiver it sounded i thought that sounded really good so, yeah, it's and then wonderful but I, li- I like that um uh, that esq that esq 1 uh, mock up of it yeah it, that was I, hot, I, wasn't it I'm not sure that I ever got my ESQ one to sound that fat, <laughs> 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 uh, but um, Mark Tinley, you did, didn't? Didn't you? Were USQ one man?
4: Yeah, I did. Uh, SQ eighty more than ESQ one, but the SQ eighty is basically the ESQ one synth engine with a slightly different sequencer and more waveforms. So, same kind of thing, yeah. Uh, in terms of Blade Runner, Blade Runner is uh, I. My only memories of Blade Runner were going to this warehouse party till about five o'clock in the morning and then going back with my friend. I won't say who it was, actually, but um, going back to his house and him saying, oh, do you want to watch Blade Runner? This was about six o'clock in the morning after we'd been out all night and then realising that we'd lost something essential to making Blade Runner very interesting and me (laughs) driving it all the way across London to go and get some more of this thing that would have made it really kind of interesting and then oh, settling down to watch it and then this interesting thing happening and me not really being able to remember very much about it
1: <laughs> oh. Fider, was oh uh, yes i expect it was some white lightning wasn't it <laughs> or a copper a cup of hot chocolate i expect after a big night like that is that what they're calling it
0: now yes
1: i believe so <laughs> I know, Rich. Does it? Does it? Um, does it have the same resonance for you?
3: No, really. It's good, r- it's good that you got to me last. <laughs> <laughs> Neither Blade Runner nor Vangelis ever had any hmm? influence with me whatsoever. Hmm. I found Vangelis to embody the grandiose, pompous side of synthesis too well, much for my taste. I, I can. yes. I can. For example, I much preferred Dave's example. Uh.
1: Was that only because you, you haven't got a no, image, um, is that because you haven't got a mental image of Dave wearing um flowery bl- <laughs> a blousy
3: shirt while he was doing well, it I'd like to see him dressed up, like him dressed up as, as Frank Ellis but in the meantime I'll settle for that beautiful imposter brass sound. <laughs> Performing at the Parthenon, and Dave Spears, <laughs> and while I'm singing Dave's praises, let me say that I've spent this week romancing both Oddity and VSM for some old style ARP stuff, and loved it. Oh, we had, well, there you go. And, and Nile loved it. It sounded fantastic. Marvelous. Oh, excellent! This well, really is <laughs> turning into the G4 Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, time's what? up.
1: <laughs>
5: Harry Chest is expanding, as we say, The blouse <laughs> is beginning <laughs> to uh, form.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Who's this is Vangelis guy anyway? It's Vangelis, isn't it? <laughs> Frank Ellis, yeah. Frank Ellis. Well <laughs> Frank Ellis. we all have different ways of pronouncing things. Um, a couple of uh, little Vra- uh, Vangelis uh, trivia facts. Um, one of the uh, I remember there was a a, 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 a lady engineer who came to work at mole's club when i was uh, working there and she was recording uh, a band upstairs and they came down and did a couple of gigs and she was uh, she was very interesting she worked she used to work for vangelis um at his place um wherever it was i don't know but she was like his, nemo his,
0: studios it was called i
1: think it may well have been yes and she was uh, her his engineer and uh, we were talking cuz we had a, a yamaha rev 7 in the rack and she said, oh, yeah, I remember these. Uh, we used to have uh, a whole load of Yamaha Rev 1s, which were the sort of, they were Yamaha's equivalent of the uh, Lexicon 480L kind of thing, big winking lights and a sort of large remote. And he said, you know, highly programmable, all sorts of things. And she said, all you used to do was dial in an eight-second reverb and leave it on the whole time. And everything went into it, and that was basically the sound <laughs> of the, the, those Vangelis reverbs and stuff. Apparently, according to her, anyway. So uh, I thank ah. her for that little story. But there is an awful lot of reverb on everything. Just out of interest, Dave, how did you manage to find anything that would reverberant? Would was reverberantly long enough in this day and age for that particular demo? So I thought, I, um, I thought um, reverb times over about two seconds were banned um, in the uh, in this century.
5: I thought that was kind of interesting as well because I'm so used to, you know, mucking about with delays and stuff like that. I just thought, I'll tell you what, for a laugh, let's call up sound designer, see what the longest reverb time is and just whack that on full. And then all of a sudden it was like going back to the 70s and early 80s again. (laughs) Quite interesting though. I I mean, mean, Blade Runner as a soundtrack is quite interesting, I think, because most film composers that I know kind of refute synthesis because they think that it dates a composition. Whereas in my opinion... I think that that hasn't necessarily dated.
1: I would tend to agree uh, uh, with that particular version of it. it. I think it's partly because it's so musical and melodic. I mean, there's quite a, th- that that chord sequence and the melody is quite emotive. I think personally, and there's lots of atmosphere to it. And obviously, with Ridley Scott's um, visuals, which were incredibly cinematic at the time, you know, quite groundbreaking kind oh. of stuff you know bearing in mind that this is uh, was it the precursor to Alien and that sort of thing it no was it was that- 82 82 right okay. yeah, just Alien laughed. was
0: 79
1: right Well, but it's in the same era when you know these large it, it just drips expense doesn't it the same as Vangelis's music I mean I don't think there's anything on there on that soundtrack, that was le- that cost less than about two grand, you know, and that goes for the reverb, the any of the synthesizers, <laughs> even down to a tubular bells, you know, they were probably real. Well, they would have been real too, you know, all of that stuff, and there was a gong in there too. I expect that was at least three grand. You know what I mean, it, it, and he looked. <laughs> he looked. Uh, like he was a question. How much was Van Gelder's? soundtrack <laughs> yeah well I, that would be a that would be an interesting um, thing for somebody to work out perhaps uh, I can't manage it now but uh, perhaps for next week if anyone wants to write in with a few no. estimates no, no okay no, no. <laughs> perhaps not but it, it was wasn't it it was an expense and all that sound was not available to anybody else That's one of the reasons why he got that. It was that, and I guess it was the same with, uh, to an extent, until you know, until recent years with somebody like Hans Zimmer and people like that, because they had access to these enormously expensive electronic recording techniques that nobody else could make that sound with.
2: Nick, can yes. I say something as yes. an addendum to what I said before? My my emo- my personal emotional resonance with with this movie and this soundtrack. The movie, I love. I, lo- I love the film. The soundtrack, quite honestly, there's very little of it that I retain in my musical memory. Sure. It's more. It's more of a you know an emotional thing and, and it had more to do with the fact that being a keyboard player coming up a keyboard player and very interested in synthesizers in the 1980s as a as a kid you know you had all these guitar players and, and everybody surrounding you and and uh to see that keyboards were coming to prominence and as you know in the ability to score a feature film i mean even even you know van gelis was doing it and then after that in a much more kind of pop and stultified way, Harold Faltermeyer did the same thing, and then you got, you had a whole, um, you know, group of people that started to do it after that, and that, that was exciting to me as a keyboard player, just simply seeing the possibilities, you know, that you could, that you could do this with the technology, that the technology was uh, maturing in such a way and and being embraced in such a way by, you know, by Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it, was, that it was possible. And so that, for me, was, was more the thing than, you know, than the music itself, because I, I do actually kind of lean in Rich's direction in terms, of, uh, in terms of feeling the same way about Vangelis as an artist.
1: Well, I'd agree. I mean, I think Ooh, the, uh-huh. the one thing about it for me is that
2: <laughs> it, it's just got
1: such a sense of atmosphere. Because, I mean, when I, list- I was listening, I was playing some of the soundtrack beforehand, listening to it. And there's, to be honest, there's very little in there that, you, that is musically memorable. But it's right. the world. Yeah, you got the love yeah.
0: theme. Have not you? you got the Dick Morrissey?
1: You got that yeah. saxophone track. Well, that's that's yeah. That's really sort of cheesy. But everything else is sort of plinky tonky isn't it? It's all a bit. Yeah, but it works you- so well. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. the
5: Brit Funk version of that? No. <laughs> <I> <laughs> it was it was so Morris Morrissey you <laughs> Mullen, who, You know, Dick Morrissey was the sax player in it, and then they did a kind of Brit Funk version of it. God oh. help us. It was a truly atrocious
1: wow i'm but gonna it, dig that out it's interesting because the saxophone almost sounds like a synthesizer as well at times in that it's got a really unique tone anyway i thought that was great and another fabulous thing from the synthtopia i just want to play uh there was one other one that was really good um what's it the juno 60 i think you need to hear that Oh, Sorry, I was, I was off again. I mean, yeah. all of that... It's not as good as the Imposca. No, it's not. But but bearing in mind that all of that was done on Juno, Juno 60, the whole of it. And seeing as the Juno 60 doesn't actually have a high-pass and uh, uh, low-pass filter simultaneously, it's just got the one... Um, was it velocity-sensitive? I don't think it was, was it? I don't it? think so. It must have been expressing yeah. in some way. <laughs> that mm. sounds a bit gruesome, doesn't it? Um, was, I was, gonna
5: say, was Chariots of Fire before
0: that, before Blade Runner...
1: Because obviously anything. Frank Gillis Delet-
0: think- he had his moments in the sun, didn't he? With *Chariots of Fire*, and then he and then he did uh, about the same time, early '80s. Might be 1980, I don't know, but I'm sure Ridley Scott listened to the director of *Chariots of Fire*, or the other way round, and that got him to get a couple of gigs in a row. And then he did *1492*, didn't he, with Gerard Depardieu? And um, then he didn't really do very many other soundtracks. It's bit like old um, Michael Nyman doing his, doing his stuff with the piano and things. You know, mm. they, they have their few minutes of, of fame, being a big composer, and then sort of slip
1: away again, I expect th- spe- nobody can afford them after that. They, well,
0: there is that, probably.
1: They sort of price themselves out. I don't know any, but I, um, jolly good fun and um, more of that. I think I would love to, if if um, if Synthetopia hadn't come up with that, I'd love to be running a series... Like that on Sonic. So, um, if you, any, have you got any other? Can you think of any other sort of iconic synth, sounds of synthesis that uh, we could uh, we could maybe take a look at in the future? How about start yeah. with you, Rich? Because um, Rich, you, you you've sort of missed out on the Vangelis part, but perhaps you could give us an <laughs> indication of you know some other can ideal candidates for the that moniker.
3: Uh the Lucky Man. Synth solo is one of the most iconic synth sounds of all time, I think. Mm-hmm. Not, that I have, not that I haven't heard it enough times in my lifetime, but it's, it is an iconic synth sound. Um, that's one that runs to mind. Uh, a few Joe Zawinul sounds from ARP that, that come, if I blunder, I'll think of. Mm, that's, yeah, that's a good John one. Hammers, Mini Moog playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, it's a combination because when you the say... sound of Jamaica funk. Sounds, yeah, that could be, or or just Moog bass in general. I mean, when you say iconic synth sounds, it's really very application and music specific in terms of how effective it was. I, I don't think, in other words, I don't think it's so much the sound as the application.
1: Well, I, I would say that I would refer you <laughs> back to the Evangelis <laughs> thing there because that sound was
3: unique. It was his. You know, it was, was opening up a filter against a sawtooth wave. You've just heard fifty other. Versions of the same thing. And, and while they are all different, they're substantively. If you handed any of us a CSA <laughs> and gave us a half an hour, chances are we'd come up with something no, very different.
0: I think the point, uh, the point uh, you're missing, guys, is the fact that, that you've, you've brought this up particularly, Nick. But it's attached to this film. And it's very much that opening sequence, looking out of Los Angeles in 2078 or whatever it is, and the sound of the the flares and and, and the, the the spaceships and and the bass and the, and the and the percussion, and it it all goes together to 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 make that image. Whereas if you if you're going to compare it with an iconic synth sound, you need to compare it with the sound of something with an image that goes with it like that. Because I think there's lots of sounds. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I mean you know you think there, you think of the solid bass sound from Orbitals. Um, uh, you know, from Chime, that's also on the uh, Messiah track. Uh, dunk not dun dun, 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 You know, it's all the DX solid bass sound. Yeah, Fantastic sound. Or, you know, Snap, Rhythm is a Dancer, so that massive bass sound there. Or the Prodigy, you know, the What The sound for... The Charlie sound. Yeah. And there are lots of them. There are lots of... You know, even the, like, the, the gong, the PPG gong at the beginning of Beat It, um, <laughs> which, which is also on, you know, Big Tangerine Dream sound on their uh, um, Exit album. But... Um, that they don't have the the same kind of status that the Blade Runner has, because it doesn't have this massive movie and this yes. this memory from 1982 and us all weeping and and and, look, and you know I want more life and all that kind of stuff you know, sea uh, beams spangling off the townhouse gate.
1: like tears you know in I mean? the rain yes all of that <laughs> stuff. Mm. Mm. I, know, I I suppose the thing is is I, I guess for me you know Blade Runner it must be you know it's the movie. It's the movie of the past, you know, that has a has a very strong resonance because it was very. We were at the, you know, when it came out, we were kind of at the edge of quite a lot of big technological revolutions. You know, there was space shuttles going up and all that sort of thing, and it felt very just apt, I suppose.
4: Actually, I think. I love the idea in that movie when they zoom in on things on pictures as well. When he like, zzz, zzz,
1: zzz, oh yeah, enhance,
4: zooms right in on some small detail and then just prints off a picture, mm. and that's so now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that was we'd... quite forward thinking, wasn't it? Very forward thinking. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Don't, that... I think
0: if you if you're gonna if you're gonna sorry <laughs> if you're gonna attach like a synthesizer to a film if, if you like, then you probably got to do got to go back to something like Clockwork Orange, haven't you? and the, the speeded-up um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wendy Carlos, Walter Carlos, the kind of, you know, the the, the synth arrangements that she did for, for that when uh, old uh, uh, matey boy's being being tortured. Um, that's a comparable
4: image, perhaps.
1: Yeah, rather that, than I, a I, um, that's true.
4: Can I nominate Diva, the soundtrack from Diva, by a chap called Vladimir Cosma?
1: Oh, no, yours, that's, that I know brilliant. that's a favourite of yours. Hmm.
4: Yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a uh, I don't know. Around the same time as this, maybe it's maybe it's a year a year or two older. Actually, thinking about it, but it's around the same time.
5: Yeah.
1: Dave if uh, we, Spears, oh, I know sorry. you wanted to come in
5: there. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I can. It, it, we can hear a synth sound and immediately kind of be transported back in time. And I'll give you, for instance, a machine gun Commodores. Immediately, I hear that synth sound. It's just like, whoa, back in the seventies again. I'm sure it's the same for an awful lot of people. Lucky man, there's a load of stuff that the. I think this was actually with the Tonto since um, Isley Brothers doing that. Uh, was it Living for the Love of You? Immediately, that's just really evocative of a kind of era. I Feel Loved on a Summer. Yeah, yeah,
1: cars.
3: Gary Newman.
5: Oh, oh wow. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. now you're
3: talking. Mm. If, if I may bring it for one second back to film, Close Encounters. <laughs> Close Encounters, um, the actual plot centered around a melody played from a synthesizer. Yes, that's so yeah.
2: true. Yeah, that's, true. that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and and if you bring it to the small screen, what about all the fantastic stuff that was done for Doctor Who? Yep.
1: Oh, Lord, yeah. Oh Lordy, we could go on and on. Well, but, we but- could. Perhaps it would be a good time now to uh, say hello to our show sponsors, who are Yamaha from the UK. We thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show. Uh, We'd like to point you out, uh, or point you at even, their own podcast, which is a monthly affair. Um, The February one is very guitar-orientated. We're going to find out what's coming up in March, uh, which should be actually in the next couple of days. I'm waiting to hear exactly, so next week I should be able to tell you a bit more about that. But please do check it out. It's got a lot of information there from a music production point of view, a playing point of view, uh, all kinds of stuff, it's not just guitars it's drums, it's synthesizers, music recording, production live playing, all the whole works uh, if you go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha there's a link there that you can pop over to their own site and uh, it will just register that we've uh, sent them so it's all, all good and also likewise there's their newsletter which is a, a monthly affair you can s- jump in and out of subscription very easy, not, not highness spam at all, or just very again uh, series of articles and informative stuff artist interviews, that kind of thing uh, particularly as we're coming up to Music Mesa, uh which is starting I think the 24th of March this year so um, check out what they've got uh, coming up again just go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha there's a link there to both the podcast and the newsletter and um, we thank them very much for their continued sponsorship and we look forward to uh, seeing what they've got um, at the Music Messer show That's enough of that. Um, anyway, that was from the David Me show, who is uh, a chap on YouTube. Uh, he's, I think he's French. I, he may be French Canadian. I couldn't find out his exact due location, but he's got an enormous number of hits, and he's just he he's quite a multi instrumentalist. And that was an example of him just playing drums on his keyboard. And uh, you know, it was a fairly sort of brash and um, perhaps uh, progressive kind of uh, drum solo type of thing. One point nine million views a three hundred three minute forty six um, drum solo now what's going on there is that uh, is, is this acceptable or <laughs> is it have the drummer a- first is it unusual? Because, I mean, I, I don't know about you, because I play... Uh, whenever I play drums, you know, to program in, I, 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 ha- I play them on a keyboard. I never play pads. I never use a weighted keyboard. I just find it's very specific, and it seems to be the best way to do it, because you've got access to all those voices simultaneously, whereas, obviously, if you're using pads, you've got, you know, you can only get eight or four or however many pads, and you've got to assign them, and it sort of cuts down creativity. I just wondered how everybody else tends to approach this. Uh, we can perhaps get back to the ins and outs of whether... Um, that's an acceptable uh, statistic perhaps after we've covered that so i know pj how do you tend to when you're playing single hits to make rhythms rather than loops how do you kind of tend to do it
2: um exactly the way that guy does it um, except well, with that weird crossover <laughs>
1: hand thing as well no
2: i don't do it like that no i do it i do it Backward. with um with my left hand the way it belongs and my right hand the way it belongs, but uh, on the keyboard. But yeah, ge- generally like that, and then I'll go back in and, and if I need to, I'll tidy something up. Um, I don't. I don't tend to, to play the keyboard drums like that for three or four minutes at a crack. Uh, hey, certainly. listen, maybe you
1: should. One point nine million views. I mean, come yeah.
2: on. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I certainly have done so. You know, when when I when I get a new sample library or something like that, I, I've I've attempted to. Uh, you know, attempted to do things like that okay. in, the, in, the, in the privacy of my own studio. You put, you put a sweatband on your head and, um, you know, the, put, oh. on, put on the
1: leather, the, the denim waistcoat and just go for it?
2: It, it gets ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> it's pretty... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty Do you cheesy, think that keyboard play,
1: the keyboards, uh, playing drums on the keyboard makes you play in a certain way?
2: Playing drums on the keyboard makes you play in a certain way? Uh, well, let's see. Um, given... You know, given my knowledge of, uh, you know, my, my knowledge of emulating good drumming, which is, you know, certain, certainly stylistic specific, you know, style specific, I, you know, I, I'll go, I'll go in generally and have to do, you know, do things afterwards. So I don't know that it makes me play in a certain way because I'm always aiming for something and I'm trying to, so, well, I guess then maybe it does. Maybe it does make me play in a certain mm, way as I I'm think- thinking about it. Because I'm attempting to go in and emulate something specific generally. I've got an idea in my head of what it is I want to do, um, yeah. and then I attempt to get my fingers to do it. And then if they can't do it, you know, <laughs> right off the bat, I'll go in and, and make sure that they can via the the, the, the editor. And uh, so that's the way I approach making rhythms. Dave Robinson. Generally.
0: Well, I was going to say, I think it does make you play in a certain way because, of I mean, it's been a while since I've done it, but, you know, typically it, you, you'd have the unch, unch, you, you know, the, the 16, the, the, the four-beat kick, and then you, the tzk, tsk, 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 you put the the hi-hats on and then you quantize it all up. Um, but, but there are ways of working, in, you know, in a, in a Cubase window trying kind to of style but um, the fact that you look at the way that the kit is laid out, you've got, and to my, to my memory, so it's been a while, you've got your kick drum on your C key, and you've probably got your snare on your D key, yeah. and then your F sharp and your G sharp would be your hi-hats with your A sharp maybe being the open hi-hat. So you're going to play the... You're going to play that with certain fingers, and you're going to know where those keys are. But you know, where's the cowbell? Where's the guidar? You know, somewhere no, up the keyboard. Up the, keyboard. Uh,
1: the keyboard, that's right. Oh, I know, yeah. but where? You well, know, uh, you look at a drum kit, you know exactly where. But are you call- are you calling it. for standardisation of uh, obscure no, percussion no, mapping? No. no, I'm saying that it, you
0: you ask the question: Does it make you play in a certain way? Yeah, it, you can unless you're so very familiar. I mean, he's very this guy's very smart because he doesn't have, as far as you can see. Unless it's, you know, behind the camera, he doesn't have marked up which instruments are on which keys. So he's got a very good memory, or he's, he's done that take so many times, that uh, that's the one that went right. I'm going to see notice, actually, at about 24 seconds in, and about one, 1 minute 42 in, he does a couple of breaks, and then he loses time just for an instant. So more more he's than not once. That brilliant. No, no, he wasn't. I, mean, he, I didn't
1: suggest that he was. I mean, it was just the the, the spectacle of it. I don't know. Dave Spears, you're a drummer and uh, a keyboard player, and I notice in your studio there's not often a drum kit set up. So uh, perhaps you can explain the best of <laughs> you know the best of both worlds, perhaps or not.
5: Uh, I can't do anything like what that guy did. In fact, as that video progressed, it just got more and more and more, didn't it? It just got more and more outlandish. It was quite interesting, and I thought it was very good, actually. But um, I can't do it because I think I come at it from a, drumming, from a drummer's perspective with kind of too much baggage. And also, Can in a previous cases? life, yes, yeah, and I want more of the stage than anybody else. Um, no, I kind of, in a previous life I had to deal with general MIDI drum mapping and that was particularly horrible and it wasn't the right way to play it. And I noticed that even he was crossing his hands over. He had the sort of hi-hat in one particular place. So in a way he was kind of playing like a drummer. Um, but no, I use a combination of uh, keyed stuff and pad stuff. If need be, I'll just pull out a couple of pads and bash about on those, really.
1: I always find that slows me down a lot. I don't know, Mark, you do quite a lot of beat programming as well, don't you? I have done in the past. I mean, what's your sort of approach?
4: I have done in the past. My approach is to use a mirrored map. And that is that I'll take middle C and I'll put a kick drum on the D above middle C. And then I'll put the snare on middle C and on E. And then I'll put the high tom going from... uh, the key below that, which I can't think what it's called at the moment, B! Right. <laughs> so I put the high tom on B and then the next one on A and the next one on G but I'll mirror that going back the other way and then I'll put the hi-hats on the black keys. So I've got like, so I can do a roll by, so I can I can do kick to snare by going from the D key and using either side of that to play the snare depending on where the beats fall in the pattern and then if I want to do a roll I can just do a roll by pressing you know, oh, I see. so you've got a kind of custom map
1: it's interesting that the the kind of the the, the mapping i mean that mapping the sort of the, starting on 36 general and going midi up,
4: it, general midi mappings are just a nightmare it, just, is that is that the non- gen, yeah I'm, but
1: that's not the general midi mapping is it the c3 uh, the 36 no, what, 38 for the snare um yeah 30, uh, yeah is it yeah. I, are, are you, yeah, I mean i, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I just, mean
4: originally roland originally had it the other way round. if you're if the first MIDI drum machines they made, I think the first one which I can remember with MIDI was the 909, and it had the snare on C and the snare on D, and then it had the kick on the E. Key so that you could do a snare that's roll. It's just craziness. D. It's not craziness because you want the kick drum, or I want the kick drum on my right hand. I don't know why. I lead better and play better drum beats if I have the kick to the right of the snare. If I have the kick to the left of the snare, it doesn't work. And then on general MIDI programming, they always have two different snare sounds, one on the D and one on the E. Yeah,
5: well, that's why like You can't
1: get as good a, right. a roll going either. Well, unless you put a left and a right hit on there, that's what one thing that I found. So you just do a kind of.
4: That would be, yeah, well, that would be cool. I mean, the, somebody who I know who plays equally as well as that person, if not better, is a guy called Steve Alexander, who was the drummer in Brother Beyond, I think, and he's now Jeff, or was Jeff Beck's drummer for ages, and he is just incredible to watch playing drums on a keyboard. It's just like, there's wow. A few, there's a, a few of those good?
1: guys at Nam, aren't there, as well? The guy who plays mm. it on the, he used to play it on an Alesis HR-16 then um, he gravitated. To, then he then he cha- graduated now to a uh, Korg uh, Nanopad.
4: Oh yeah, I saw him.
1: Yeah, I can't remember what his name is now, but I know. He's, yeah, I, he's I walked past
4: the call booth, and so he was very good, wasn't? Awesome.
1: he? Awesome. He's awesome.
4: So maybe they need to make some YouTube videos and put them up because maybe so
1: because it really
4: it's the only could, place yeah. to see
1: music these days. Oh uh, well, that's that's very true as well. Rich, do you uh, do you want to chip in
3: here or are you uh do you have a a, a drum free keyboard? Well, I do input notes from the keyboard, but my skills are nothing like this kid in the video with whom I was very impressed. And uh my my stuff both as drumming and dare I say it as keyboard playing tends to come together more on screen than in the performance on the keyboard or the drum pads. Um, I play with drums, I play one part at a time typically. I don't try to get out the whole kit because otherwise my hi-hats sound like crap. Um, So I'm very impressed with the kid and I've Mm. seen other people do it and there are certain people who have that finger drumming skill and uh, I don't happen to be one of them at the moment nor do I have the interest to (laughs) develop it very much. But uh, it's cool, and and at one time in the distant future, I used to use Octopad for input with sticks sometimes because I can play a bit with sticks.
1: Okay, not, yeah, 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 not
3: great. I can not never great. be
1: I can never be bothered to assign it all because you know m- typically most kits have sample sets have you know I don't know thirty six samples, loads of them anyway, and then you just got to sit there kind of dialing in the note you want on the on the yeah. pad, and I just can't be bothered. It's just by the time I've done that, I've sort of lost the inspiration for the rhythm I wanted to play. I
4: find if I if I use one of those octopad things, or the Roland had like a nice little thing with five pa- a pad five, I think it was called. Uh-huh. When I use those, I need to quantize everything to eighth notes because my brain to hand coordination is so slow that I'm just completely out. I can't <laughs> play in time at all.
1: I see. All right. It's the
4: length of the stick. I put it down to. <laughs>
1: Well, anyway, no, it's an interesting one. I, I just think kind of keyboard drumming itself is, uh, you know, like it is an art. And um, it, it's how a lot of us input stuff. I have to, you know, I mean, it's just grown up with it. Um, okay, uh, what shall we do next? Are we, are we interested in MTV or stadium pop? Or recording hi-hats? Rich, I expect you might have something to add on to recording hi-hats there, wouldn't you? Do you record, find yourself recording hi-hats in many
3: in many instances? Shall we, shall we go there? The answer to your question is not as often as I'd like as far as yeah. these days and recording hi-hats, but I'm very simple in these ways. You know, um, it's, it's all down to something that my mentor and teacher taught me when I was young, which is move your ear around, find the music, and put a microphone there. <laughs> well, that sounds like pretty good advice. That's what he used to tell me. And if you put, in the case of a hi-hat, I tend to put condensers with a 10 dB pad on it. Yeah. Cause an, a- an AKG 452 will do just fine.
1: Well, um, let me just introduce the topic then, because this was uh, on, on Gear Sluts. Uh, uh, this was the, the, uh, bought on the one of their forums, which is So Much Gear, So Little Time, and it's... Uh good s- sounding hi-hat recording and this was uh, a chap called Sly Drums who uh, basically said what mic would you use what high-end preamp would you use for great hats and how would you mix it and uh, it just reminded me of kind of every time I've had to deal with hi-hats you know I-, I used to mic them a lot live you know I mean that was part of I used to do a lot of live sound engineering and I had a particular way that I'd do it we didn't have any condenser mics in the live setup because they were just too expensive and they get ruined so we used Bayer 201s on them uh, as just play them, you just play them off the keyboard? Yeah, well, you could do, obviously.
3: <laughs> but somebody had to mic them in the first somebody place. See previous topic. Well, here's the thing about a close hi-hat mic is, for me, it's just a placement issue for spotting. It's not the sound of the hi-hat. You'll never get the sound of the hi-hat that close. The sound of the hi-hat has to be made in the overheads because it needs all that air around it to make what it sounds like. Right. So when you get that close to it, if you try to rely on it, it will sound unnatural. So typically what happens is it becomes a compromise between frequency response and isolation, and you, you approach it knowing that the only reason you're really using it is to help place it in the stereo field over where you want it or to drag it into the middle in the cases where you want to do that.
1: Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I can understand that. But I mean, in, you know, take it to, to the 80s and 90s when it, hi-hats and overheads were overheads were almost a dirty word. You know, it was, it was kind of kick, snare, hat. And there was just all these kind of incredibly – High, I mean, this is the thing that I found, because I had a project uh, last year where I had to emulate a lot of sounds of uh, sort of, you know, drum kits from around about that time. And I found I had to process them incredibly intensively to get that sort of sound. So you'd be doing all sorts of stuff to it. And there were all sorts of techniques that you do. And, I'd, I'd, you know, usually you sort of think, well, try and be natural and kind of keep But with hi-hats, if you want to get certain kinds of signature hi-hat sounds, you really have to process the hell out of them. Um, that's the thing. I mean, there's that whole thing about, you know, you used to put gates on, uh, the drum machine hi-hats or on, on a, a player who could play very precisely just to get them to sort of s- be a bit softer and you know, all sorts of tricks. Oh, Dave Spears. I mean, did you, did you find that, No, do you, you know, have you been, had your mic, hats miked up um, to your liking any time in the past?
5: Yeah. Luckily I didn't have to do it myself. I had these little, um, Sabian, they were called flat hats and they were very flat (laughs) and uh, underneath they had little holes in and uh, I noticed that the mic guys would put one on the edge to get that kind of chink and then they'd mic it from underneath so they'd get the sound through that little hole. I mean in the 80s that was it because you would have programmed drums and then they would just call you in and go right put some hi-hat over this. Um, God what was the classic track? Slave to the Rhythm.
1: And ABC as well all of that ABC stuff yeah.
5: I think the way Trevor did loads and loads of stuff in those days was, you know, program drums, get a drummer in, play hi-hats. And it was brilliant from my perspective because you could really make stuff, you could make your hi-hats sing and dance. Because you concentrated
1: concentrating on just the hi-hat.
5: Yeah, and it was great. You could sling in all sorts of, you know, 30-second notes and all sorts of stuff. Oh, well, do you think that's what place. it was?
1: Because the drummers who were allowed in the studio to record were only actually allowed to record hi-hats and cymbals, so they got really fancy with their hi-hat parts. <laughs>
5: I used to have to um, play the hi-hat, and then they wouldn't let me have a snare because obviously they didn't want to pick up any of that, so I'd end up whacking my um, thigh with the drumstick. I remember coming out with massive bruises after one session. Yeah,
1: I wonder who the hi hat specialist was. If you were going to do the hi, you needed that sound. Who who you'd hire in to to be your hi hat man? Who was just
5: engineer that we used a lot of the time? I can't remember his bloody name. Um he was such a Nile Rogers a fanatic. In fact, the joke was that he even looked a little bit like Nile and he used to book tables in restaurants under the name of Nile Rogers. So, okay, <laughs> Mr. Rogers, your table for four is now ready. <laughs> um, Nile should check was... his
0: credit card records for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. And he was a guitarist as well. I mean, he was just a complete Nile rip But he could get fantastic, those fantastic dancey hi-hat sounds. Yeah, it was brilliant. I can't remember his name. I'll remember it. So.
1: I, I mean, Rich, when you're called to, would you, you know, and you wanted to use, a, you know, you we're talking like real disc, a real disco hi-hat sort of thing. Is there a kind of approach you would take with that?
3: Um, in terms of the live recording of drums? Yeah. Exactly what I said before. Right, yeah. yeah. Same, same I mean, deal. the kid gets mainly overheads. Uh, the overheads might be very close, but the kit gets made in the overheads, and everything else—literally everything else—that's not a kick drum mic is used primarily as uh, frequency fill and spotting.
1: Uh, other mics that have been uh, called uh, uh, SM81—I've never used that—is that that presumably is a sure condenser? Yeah, sure, some kind of condenser.
2: The SM81s are those little those little pencil mics.
1: I think I've got, a, uh, I've got an AKG-451 that I used to use for hi-hats. I've still got, still, That's still got, what I was going to uh-huh. say. Still got that somewhere. And they used to get you.
4: I would point an AKG-451 straight in the side of the hi-hat so that when it was open, the, the end of the microphone, the round end, was sort of pretty much pointing right in the middle of that. And I'd get it kind of close, and then I'd gate it. And then I'd shove it through um, an exciter to get, like, loads of high-end in it. So, really, it was just, like, a, a really high-frequency white noise. And then, as Rich says, you just blend that back in with, like, the rest of the drum kit and place it in the stereo field where the hi-hat kind of feels like it ought to be. Yeah. And... um and then to sort of try and make it as thin as possible. When I was recording real drum kits, it was all about having that really, really paper thin, kind of wispy kind of hi hat sound that they were using on, or oh, I don't know, um, ZZ Top maybe for one of another thing. Uh, or am no, yeah, yeah. sure that they had real hi hats on that. I mean, nowadays I wouldn't do that. I'd get a U87 and stick it in front of the kit as far away as reasonably possible and record the whole lot in mono. So I like that
2: sound. yeah Impressive. well that's true I like that sound too a studio that I worked in in the 1990s always they, they had an SM81 and, and most of the engineers there um, who, who I learned a lot from used that microphone particularly on the hi-hat and I never understood why until now because I always thought that that microphone was so it was so harsh and thin sounding but mm-hmm. given Mark's approach you wouldn't need a cue to achieve that same sound just to kind of blend it back into the kit
1: well that's right i mean the akg 451 had an enormous presence peak as well so i mean it was really hyped already you know so
2: yeah
4: yeah.
1: yeah, and monitoring all that on a pair of old school Yamaha NS10s. By the end of the session, your yep. ears are going to be bleeding, aren't they? <laughs> nice. What?
4: What was that? What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, um, no. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Hi hats are uh, being the uh, being being kind of a key point. I'm very bit, a firm believer in getting the hi hats right.
0: I've, I've got to go, I'm at five o'clock so here, mate. I've got five o'clock's
1: here. <laughs> well, uh, it's been great to have you, Dave, and thank you very much for your time, and we'll hopefully have you again soon. And if I don't see you before, I'm going to see you at Music Mess. Are you going to be there?
0: I will be there. I shall be, yes, yeah, for, for three days.
1: Three weeks from now, in fact. Yeah, I'm going to go down and have some
0: kofta. Some what? And possibly some kofta and some sovlaki. Oh, lovely. And, and listen to Spiral.
1: See you later. Cheers, Dave. Cheers. <laughs> Dave Robinson, Europe dot com just has left the building. The dulcet tones of uh, Jeff Downs and uh, Trevor Horn there, uh, who seems to have featured quite a lot in this episode uh, due to the the nature of uh, hi-hat recording and such like. But th- that was an illustration of the fact that music television is basically no longer, or at least MTV as we know it, which started on the August the 1st, 1981, with, uh, as far as I understand it anyway, as legend has it, that Buggles track, uh, as the first video played, Um, has now dropped the music television part of its logo and no longer really is called that. And uh, it just got me thinking way back, you know, because, I mean, it used to be such a... I mean, it was such a powerful force in making and breaking acts. And, you know, know, all that money you used to spend on making a music video, and if it didn't get on MTV, it was kind of basically music... It was like flushing your money down the toilet, wasn't it? I don't know, Dave, I suspect you'll probably uh, feel as strongly as I do about the MTV generation, because you were probably one of them were you not I don't,
5: uh, so I'm not with you so is MTV not doing music videos then?
1: well it's not called music television anymore now it's all about um, you know reality TV and uh, oh and Pimp My Ride Pimp My Ride and, Ride yeah, and you yeah. know okay. My Crib and all that sort of stuff I'm sure there is uh, music on there as well but it's no longer the main focus
5: yeah I don't know mixed feelings I suppose I'm quite pleased that Paul King is no longer doing the festival circuits <laughs> annoying everybody with, with his camera um other than that i've not an awful lot of opinion i was just amazed that you know youtube the percentages that was music on youtube now
1: yeah very high on they? what's kind of 30 40 percent
5: yeah 31 percent. i mean that's massive
1: yeah compared to sport
5: of six percent
1: Ha well i suppose the thing about sport is it's generally <laughs> an, of the now and the live aspect isn't it whereas music te- you know videos aren't really I just yeah. remember it being so big, and the, the thing that I also remember about it was, uh, it was only the sort of thing that you could ever see in hotels. And you know, if you were touring or you were doing that kind of stuff, you got to see a lot of music television. I, mm. I had the pleasure of being on MTV once, with I re- I can't remember why or what the what it was on, but I remember being really, really kind of excited about it because it was it was so big. You know, it, it was such it was like pan-European. There, it was a very big European presence. I think. I mean, obviously, it, it started was
5: massive, in, massive.
1: Rich did it in the states I think maybe it was more aligned with kind of R& b and rap perhaps than it was with gen, more of a general
3: pop thing and maybe I'm totally wrong there would you not say in the beginning no not in the beginning I mean uh, of, among those who were extraordinarily benefited by this were Duran Duran, for example oh, Yeah 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 of course. Um, so quite a bit of the of the pop synth driven music of the 80s. Was propelled by this, um, and so it was a mixture of things, and it went over more to the dance side as the eighties progressed. It started out pretty much as a rock medium for the most part. Yeah, that would figure
1: out. Wow. Yeah, there Anybody? was a lot. No, there was there was a lot of, um, <laughs> Did you of tumbleweed. No, no, you sorry. I just turned the mic down to sneeze. There, um, <laughs> I'm allergic to rock. You see, uh, no, it's it, it's. I think you're right about the rock thing, thinking back, because it was all, you know, back in the Monsters of Rock days, because also the rock acts were the only people who were making big expensive videos back then as well, because they they had the money, because they had a lion's share of the the kind of sales they were selling big, or they were, just as that MTV came in, they still had money in the bank from, you know, when when sort of metal and soft metal were, were so massive.
3: Right, and one might make the case that they had an easier time wrangling the kinds of budgets that were needed for such things from the record companies than the black folks did. And uh, I'm not the the right one to make that case, but it may be true. But there was a distinct point around 1990 where VH1 became what MTV had been and MTV became dance, uh, headbangers and rappers.
1: Yeah, and dance music as well, yeah. You know why that
4: happened, though?
3: Oh, go ahead, please.
4: Uh, There was another satellite uh, TV and music television station called Music Box and Music Box died and one of those swallowed Music Box up so they all shifted around quite a lot when that happened
1: Ah uh, like, yes I think because uh, some of the some of the channels were, were pioneering the whole kind of thing which was that they didn't even have a front man they were taking the whole idea where you just kind of ring up or text in or whatever it was you did at the time uh, make your requests for particular songs and they just built the playlist based on the uh, phone calls they got I think that was Music Box wasn't
4: it? I uh, the only thing I remember about Music Box was that I lived in a flat, a rented flat, and we had this massive, um, what are those things called, satellite dish in the back garden. So I used to come back from the pub, and the Music Box would be on, and I'd fall asleep in front of the TV, and and the the were on it quite a lot, if I remember rightly. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't really remember there being any particular presenters on it, although there must have been, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure that there were. It's, it's quite... Um, I mean, the other thing that we forget about it also, they really did um, in, in the early days, all the little shorts and the little animated things, they kind of single handedly developed almost You know, the, the sort of new school uh, for the time of video directors, uh, animators, all of those things. They kind of bankrolled a lot of those people who were currently doing it for nothing. You know. And get, if you got like an animated sh- a series of animated shorts on MTV, it was like your life would be turned around. you know. They were doing a lot of stuff creatively that brought it to wider audiences.
5: Beavis and Bide.:
1: mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there is that. Actually, Rich, haven't you got a Beavis and Butthead connection? I
3: have a platinum album on the wall. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's, Beavis, with Beavis, that's Beavis and Butthead's album. Yeah, wow. excellent. I'm proud to say. Go find somebody else who's got one of those. But, um, but speaking to the MTV uh, issue and the disappearance, I would like to stake out my usual old guy opinion here and say that if the disappearance of music video as a marketing tool for music means that the focus in the marketing of music will return to musical talent and away from what does somebody look like and how well do they dance, I applaud it wholeheartedly. Amen, mm. amen. Yeah, but it's not going
1: to happen, brother. Does
3: it? Bitch. Well, maybe not.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that, no, that, I, I think that is a good point. But I think in MTV's defense, you, let's not forget MTV unplugged. You know, very much uh-huh. not about the uh, the music video. It's about the performer. You know, uh, and and the ability to be able to deliver that kind of stuff right. for real in front of people.
3: 1991. I mean, in the show that preceded that, I may say blowing my own horn or Niles was called New Visions on VH1 before it became MTV which had music videos by different artists of varying styles imagine that, Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, Niles was the host of the show and I was the musical director of the house band and we would do live performances every week with one of the artists whose videos were being featured Mm. cool and that preceded um, the Unplugged series and we sort of had the sense that it was the the moderate success of miles show that led to the realization that hey people are <laughs> interested in people playing music together how about that and then the then MTV made a big deal of it for a short number of years in the early 90s though this did not i mean there remains some of that and PBS has this thing live from whatever studios in new york now that sony's not there and and there's been there's been Other things, and there does continue to be some remnant of live performance left in the entertainment culture. But, um, well, I made my point before about how it shifted over to people uh, based on how they look and how they dance.
4: What I really liked about Unplugged was that there was a whole lot of people just coming in and playing, really playing, like not having stuff on backing tapes or programmed or any of that stuff. I mean, they were just, you know, doing their thing. Our Um, show, too. (laughs) I think when I first started working with Duran Duran, they did an unplugged show, and then they decided to just turn that into an unplugged tour. And we had, like, a violinist and a cellist and... um, and and the big joke was that Nick and I were going to program this Mac laptop so he could do all of his stuff on on a, on a laptop and just have it on his lap and it would still be unplugged, right?
1: <laughs> oh, I see, yeah. Uh, Battery-powered.
4: <laughs> so that's how we were going to do the Sins. Uh, that's but anyway. funny.
1: Anyway, well, um, so, yeah, as it was, uh, I think, when did that happen? It was February the 8th, 2010, so in only, um, well, beginning of last month when uh, the channel's long-running official tagline, music television, was dropped. So, yeah, yep. but it's got a big legacy, hasn't it? I mean, really, really, really does. Um, um, I wanted to close with a couple other little things. Um, I, uh, today was the day that our uh, um, Amy Williams, the gold medalist from the uh, Skeleton Bob, came back to Bath on her open-top bus. I, w- I nipped out just before the show to try and record the hordes of uh, adoring public that were going to be uh, there, and there were probably about two or 300 people just in the bit that I was at, but sadly there was no coordinator, so it ended up sounding like this. Which was a bit sort of sad, and she waved a couple of times, and everybody went woo, but it wasn't very kind of like forward cheerleading. We're also re- reserved as Brits, but uh, that I just want to say, th- well done, Amy. Another thing, yeah, they did the open top bus tour. She was going, she's dropped off at the Guild Hall to be uh, given the keys to the city. Brilliant. I don't think Bath have ever had a gold medalist in anything before, so that's probably why. But, yeah, nice nice one. And the other thing was, uh, I'd just like to give a shout-out for open source, because uh, my partner's laptop, which has been just seriously problematic, you know, like, it can't even download email and open a web browser at the same time. You know, it was just causing... We couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. I wiped the drive last night, and I put Ubuntu on it, which is just an open source distribution of Linux, and it loaded first time... Recognise the audio devices. Recognise the Wi-Fi. Recognise the wireless printer, and and worked straight out of the box. I can I I'm, I can't wait to actually try some audio uh, stuff. And also, I downloaded something which was uh, Wine, which I think is some kind of Windows emulator, and that meant I could run Spotify on it as well. Awesome, and it's all What's, free. The, what were you doing this on? This was a Sony Vio 1.7.
4: So you've got a Windows. You can run Windows programs on
1: it as well. Some, I believe, not lots, but some you can. I'd certainly run Spotify, the Windows download. So I'm going to. I might try and uh, put. I'm going to. I'm going to seriously explore the idea of uh, a Linux audio system because I was really amazed. I thought I was going to get into a world of sort of, oh now I'm going to have to find a driver for this and this, and, but it all absolutely worked at the. So
4: I've got this little Toshiba netbook and I've seen videos of people running OS X on it. I was thinking about doing that. That might be quite fun, but um I'm scared that the moment I start trying to do that that I'll spend my whole life trying to make things work. So. Yeah, there is that. Right. Well, anyway,
1: anyway, this this worked because uh, you know I know that uh, you know this laptop has very specific functions, but she couldn't play YouTube videos on it or any music or anything. It was just, you know, it, for some reason Windows XP had just demolished it to uh, uh, it couldn't even play its own startup sound without kind of going, yeah. you just think for God's sake,
2: <laughs> how, how is this possible? I have a couple of friends here in Minneapolis that, uh, that do commercial projects solely on, on Ardor in a, in a Linux boot. Right. So I'm, I'm going to try that.
1: Yeah. I'm absolutely, they, they
2: swear by it. And then the other thing to check out if you, if you wind up doing that is for $79, Harrison has done a component by component um, model of one of their mixing desks that, seamlessly integrates into Arter. It actually replaces the audio engine. That's really? it. Oh, wow. Yep, Yeah. Well, and it's, so it's really cheap, and it's, uh, to my ears, it sounds really good you know when i 've gone over to to their studio and checked it out i thought wow for for eighty bucks you get ardor and, and this Harrison mixbus emulation, and it sounds really nice wow that 's a top
1: tip I also got another top tip for you um, this week. I uh, also saw the uh, the arrival of our mactopus we got a quad uh, an eight core two point eight to uh, try and um, alleviate some of the video processing bottleneck that's sort of thrown up by the trade show, so we'll have that in place for Music Messer. And uh, if any of you are thinking of getting uh, a Windows boot, uh, you know, you're going to go out and buy Windows 7, Um, before you do, check out the Microsoft Action Pack subscription. You just go and sign up on the Microsoft site, and you can get a year's subscription to everything Microsoft make. Every piece of software, server software, SQL Server, Windows Seven Ultimate, Windows Seven Professional, you get ten licenses of that. Windows Seven Home, you get ten licenses of that in sixty four bit mode. Two hundred pounds. Really? Whereas a version of Windows Seven Ultimate on its own, one license, costs you about one hundred and eighty quid. And you just, wow. have, all you have to do is prove that you're some kind of IT professional, and you may recommend these products to other people. Absolutely, you know, it's a no-brainer, because, I mean, we did this a few years back, and it, 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 all of our machines that had to have XP licenses, and I'm running a, a Windows 2003 server with SQL Server in the office and what have you, due to the Action Pack that we had then. I've just done it, now. and it's a digital download, so you can just basically...
4: What's it called again?
1: Microsoft Action Pack Subscription. So what you do is you subscribe, you pay, I mean, you pay a lot more if you want to get the physical copies, but you just download ISO images, burn them onto CDs or DVDs, which is a piece of cake if you've got a Mac, and then just put them in the machine, and they boot, and then you go and get your serial number, and it's all administered from a web interface. Absolutely brilliant.
4: Is it 200 quid a year?
1: Yeah, but you only need to do it once, because if you do it, you know, you do it once and then don't do it the next time.
4: Oh, I see what you meant. You're still you, you, licensed you, you, after a
1: year, though. I believe so, yeah. It doesn't go away, or certainly none of our other stuff did. I mean, it, I, I can recommend that as a concept, anyway.
4: Okay, cool. Thank you.
1: Right. Uh, well, I, I suppose we're heading towards the end of the show. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for everybody uh, who joined us in the chat room, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live. Remember, 4 pm every Wednesday, we have a live stream and a live chat room, and you guys can. Uh, join us in the uh, in a textual sense, uh, as well as thanking all my live guests. Uh, obviously, Dave Robinson from ProSignNewsEurope.com has left the building, um, but we still have uh, other guests to say goodbye to, so I'll start with uh, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, PJ. appreciate you uh, taking the time out.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I have a very quick question I'd like to ask of the audience, if possible. Sure. Um, Anybody that would like to respond in the show notes, that would be fantastic. Um, I am looking for hard and fast data on playing uh, Synthegy's Ivory off of a Muse Receptor 2. If anybody is doing that glitch-free, could they please send uh, an affirmative and then which which version of that particular device they're using?
1: Uh Okay. Have you have you talked to Muse about it as well? Because they're quite good at that. Ah,
2: uh... Uh, yeah, I've emailed Muse. They haven't. They haven't gotten back to me. I just. I just did that yesterday. Actually, I've been. I've been a- attempting to configure a laptop that I have here to play Ivory, and I just. I don't think it's going to work. Right. And so now yeah. I'm. I'm on to the Muse receptor. Well, I've.
3: Uh, I've. I've learned a few things recently. Thanks, okay. to our, f- thanks to our friend Kiwi Steve in the chat room, actually, Okay. Uh, who received the response, because I was talking about how I have a hard time running it in a major DAW setup alongside yep. drum spaces and some other things. Apparently, sure. the keys to um, making it run more smoothly and with less demand are changing the buffer setting in their interface to low, um, removing release... And pedal ups or pedal up some other samples, you know, like, and loading smaller pianos, not the 10 layer piano, but the four layer. Right. Piano,
2: right. Well, yeah. And I've done, and I've done that successfully inside my own DAW and, and, and whatnot. What I'd like to know is if I run that thing alone on a Muse Receptor 2, you know, could, could I use right. the pedal release samples? Could I use the 10 layer piano? Cause I'd, pr- I'd prefer to use that. Yeah, in mm-hmm. in in terms of the gig that I'm that I'm doing currently, you know, if I was just going out doing a dense rock or blues thing or something like that, then I I wouldn't care so much. But I do in terms of the fact that I there's solo passages and things like that that I would like to have access to all of. That. I
3: understand. I, 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 I too.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So in, in I it's it's amazing the dearth of inform of reliable information that I can find on that on the web. I mean, I've I've been. You know, moving around. I, I guess the closest thing I found is that, you know, Jordan Rudis is saying that he's using it now finally. I, I and I, that rumor had been going around for years, and then apparently, in his forum, they said he wasn't actually playing ivory live off of a receptor until they got to version two. Now I'm assuming he's got the maxed out version of it. I'd I'd rather actually not lay out all the money for that device if I can get away with the with the smaller configuration yeah, of, course, of course right that's all i want to know
1: okay so. well um, good luck we'll keep an eye out for that uh, anyway pj thank you very much and also uh, while you. we're while we're over that side of the world we'll say goodbye to rich hilton from uh, from the u.s too thank you very much for joining us rich
3: and thank you for having me it's always great
1: are you uh you able to get to work today or is the snow still thick on the
3: ground no no i'll be on my way
1: well, have a great day at the office, and um, thanks very much for joining us. We'll say goodbye also to Mark Tinley, AutismHero. dot com. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you again.
4: Thank you very much,
1: and thank you very much for uh, all of your uh, yeah all your extra hi hat specific info. Very useful stuff.
4: Oh, yeah, I've got another re- website actually. Oh, okay. The well, same one, but I've got a much snappier URL. Okay. Because I haven't found any Autism Heroes yet, and I'm sure that I may be one one day, but it would be arrogant of me to assume. So um, until i found my Autism Heroes, I'm going to use likebeing.com, which is L-I-K-E-B-E-I-N-G.com.
1: Okay, so people couldn't see what you're up to there. All right, great. Thank you very much, Mark and finally uh, we'll say goodbye to Dave Spears from G4 Software who's going to presumably be hard, back hard at the voicing of the uh, and, uh I think you should include that Vangelis patch oh yeah no it's definitely going in oh brilliant definitely brilliant yes. as, soon as, as soon
5: as I get my sound card running
1: yes oh yeah well uh, good luck with that <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> luck with, sorry to hear about that one and um, yeah are you going to be a music master or are you um, doing it from far again
5: depends my time may be better served here but Uh, if that's the case then we'll probably go out for a day or so all
1: right well thanks very much folks Uh, it's been a a great pleasure that was sonic talk number 167 you'll be able to find it on itunes from tomorrow uh thanks for listening live if you've been in the audience sonicstate.com forward slash live 4 p.m uk time and also thanks to the show sponsor yamaha um you can find out what i'm talking about with them at sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha that's it